Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Carla Marie Manley. As a clinical psychologist, author, and advocate based in Sonoma County, California, Dr. Carla Marie Manley is passionate about helping others create the lives of their dreams. Dr. Manley believes there's no topic too big or small to address head on. From offering guidance for relationships, sexuality, communication issues, and work-life balance, to providing tools for healing stress, anxiety, and depression, Dr. Dr. Manley offers insights on even the most challenging topics. Focusing on optimal wellness, she skillfully promotes mindfulness, stress reduction, fitness, health, and self-care. With a direct and honest approach, plus a dose of humor, Dr. Manley enjoys supporting others through the ever-evolving journey of life. In her new book, Joy From Fear, Dr. Manley takes the reader on a soulful adventure into self-awareness. Joy From Fear provides guidance for both individuals and those who enjoy journeying into greater self-awareness through women's groups, men's groups, and book clubs. If I had to say what's the biggest reason why we stay stuck, it's fear. Fear of change can be absolutely paralyzing. And my guest today, Dr. Carla Marie Manley, is going to help us understand the different types of fear, how to work with them, and how to minimize them so we can take action in the way that serves us best. If fear is stopping you from speaking up, protecting yourself, honoring what's in your best interest, and so much more, you're going to love this episode. Here we go. Okay, everybody, you're in for a treat. I have Dr. Carla Marie Manley with us today, and she's going to be talking about fear. And when it comes to betrayal, there's all kinds of fear. And uh, we're just going to be working through all of it. So welcome, Carla Marie. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be on with you. Oh, just so glad to have you with us. Let's just dive into this whole topic of fear. I just find it's almost at the root of everything. What you, Can you just start with what's your definition of fear? Where do you see it showing up? And let's just take it from there. So fear, the way in my book, Joy from Fear, I really take care to, to create a delineation between realistic fear So really saying we do have fear that is helpful to us. It's realistic fear, fear that keeps us in the crosswalk when we're crossing the street, fear of getting, you know, in an accident if we've been drinking so we don't drink and drive, fear of walking through a forest where there are bears and having a bear attack us, right? All realistic fears. Unfortunately, in this day and age, many of us are being riddled with irrational fears, unrealistic fears that keep us from change, that keep us stuck and immobilized in life. And so what the the premise that I work with is if we're looking at these irrational fears, which often come to us in voices that tell us what we can't do or what we shouldn't do, or that we should stay in a situation. This is where I see it a lot, where people are afraid of change. And so they stay in a situation that is unhealthy, just downright unhealthy, destructive, whether it's after a betrayal in a marriage and things aren't getting better or a family betrayal and things aren't getting better because that's what we really have to look at. Are the people in the situation working together to get better? And if they're not, then what I, the way I look at it is that we have the destructive fear. So then we break it down into destructive fear and constructive fear and destructive fear will keep us stuck in these relationships. Destructive 
fear is that voice that has us staying when we're getting strangled, you know, not literally strangled, sometimes literally strangled, right? But where we're being strangled by a situation that's simply unhealthy for us and we are afraid of change. And then constructive fear, and the reason I label it constructive fear is it helps us realize that that it's simply a voice. It's the other side of fear that wants us to grow, that wants us to heal from betrayal and other hurts in life, that wants us to move forward. And then once we start being able to listen to that voice, then we're able to start taking action, which gives us the third piece, which is the transformational fear. So that's how I break fear down so that people can get their arms wrapped around not only the definition of how I see transformational fear happening, the destructive fear, the constructive fear, and the transformational fear, but then they can see that, oh, I can do that. I actually have power. And I want to dive into this a little bit more because I see so often where someone has been betrayed, they, they've exhausted themselves trying uh, to to heal whatever it is because it's just in their minds easier than breaking up a family, breaking up a marriage, uh, whether it's a you know the family you came from, the family you're married into, whatever. But then there there is that fear that just has them trying to uh, rationalize and justify and negotiate, and it's always at their own expense. And I see it show up in health issues, and and it's just this real negative spiral that that seems to happen. How do we know if it's destructive fear? It's such a good question. And the way I look at it, Debbie, is that destructive fear does not have your best interests at heart. Destructive fear also has a certain flavor to its voice. It is pushy, it is aggressive, it is overbearing, and it will feel constraining. And so if the listeners could imagine a voice that makes you close down and feel achy and depressed and anxious, that's destructive fear. If you can imagine a voice that is saying, you are good, you are deserving, you are loved, you are worthy. Yes, you might be a little scared of change. That's understandable. And, and I'm here to help you through that. That's constructive fear. You can feel the difference. One energy is punitive and pushy and stay. It's the right thing to do. You should be a good girl. You, you know, you have these kids to look out for you gave, you know, and then the other voice is, you're meant for more. You're meant to be at peace. You are meant, you deserve a better life. And so that's how we can learn. And what is so important is that we live in a very busy, fast-paced society. And so we get used to the voice of destructive fear because it's all around us. We're in this very busy, do, perform, do better, compare yourself kind of society. And that is all stopping us from slowing down. And we cannot hear constructive fear until we slow down. And, you know, I'm, I'm in the minds of my listener right now, and I'm, I'm imagining them saying, I feel both. I go back and forth with both. I'm living with both. Joy isn't even a piece of this. I'm living with both. And I know my intuition is telling me one thing and that's scary, but that's freedom on the other side and health and healing. But then that other voice is just 
weighing more heavily. Do we go back and forth with both? Is that common that you, something common oh, that you see? Debbie, it is so common because, because change is scary. And I really, in, in, I know we're working on betrayal, so we'll stay with betrayal. When we're healing from a betrayal, that pain can be so intense, so disconcerting, so confusing, that the thought of moving forward, because we're already in a place of pain, the thought of somehow getting more pain, at least this is the pain we know. This is the pain of betrayal. It's familiar, right? I know this. And so that voice will often keep coming up, stay with what you know, you know, stay here. It's the right thing. And then the little whisper of constructive fear will come up and say, but you can do this. And that idea is to start noticing both voices. Just notice. Notice that they're both there. Notice that that's normal. And in fact, I would even say, Debbie, that it's healthy. And here's why I think it's healthy to listen to both voices for at least a while. Because if we make a really quick, abrupt change, let's say somebody's betrayed us. Let's say a husband has had an affair, right? And we say, I'm out of here. I hate you. I'm leaving. Kids are, you know, come on, let's get out of here. We might look back later and say, ah, if I had only tried, if I had only gone to therapy with him and found, you know, worked on myself and worked on him, maybe, but for a woman who, and I'm not saying, you know, somebody's being abusive, there's never a reason to stay, right? You know, if you're physically and emotionally abused, then that can be handled in a different way. But when it's a betrayal, like an affair, a physical affair or an emotional affair, then we can maybe slow it down and listen to the voice that says stay and also listen to the voice that says, yes, but we need therapy. I want some individual therapy. I am going to demand a couple's therapy and I am going to make a wise decision. And then the destructive voice might come back and say, oh, he'll say no to the therapy. Well, hey, I need to ask. And if he says no to the therapy, that's my signal right there. So it becomes a conversation. Right. And I want to get to, this is this is a little bit different and I'm, I'm sure some of the listeners can relate to this. And it's more along the lines of, it's a different type of betrayal. It's not sort of the, the big gigantic one experience, but it's micro betrayals or that death by a thousand cuts, maybe where it's, uh, you know, just lying. Someone is constantly lying and, and then they, they try to, I guess, regain your trust and you, it's enough to get you back on board and they do it again and again and again. And this is a pattern. How do you, but then they have that fear of, okay, well, this is something I'm familiar with. And then they start justifying, but it's not that terrible because, because eventually they do what they say they're going to do or something like that. And I'm saying this because someone with this experience just, just left my office. So how do you, how do you then strengthen that constructive fear enough to, to say, you know, we've been through this for decades now and there's, there's something, there's something else we, we should listen to. I really like what you're saying, Debbie, because it's it is a common it is a common issue, right? And your the way you express it with a death by a thousand cuts, it is not. That's why it gets so tricky. Because if it were one, you know, huge dagger to the heart, 
It's easy to leave there. But the death by the thousand cuts gives us hope, defeat, hope, defeat, hope, defeat, all these little micro slices. And here's the scary part is it eats away at our self-esteem. It eats away at our belief in our own standards. Well, maybe I could just, maybe it's me that has too high of standards, you know, that sort of thing. And so the way that I work with that is to ask people, start keeping a record. Start keeping a record, make an agreement. And this is the beautiful part about destructive fear. Destructive fear does not like the light. Destructive fear does not like clarity. Destructive fear does not like written agreements at all because destructive fear likes to be able to be manipulative and sneaky. And so if we're in a relationship with somebody who has been, you know, doing the death by a thousand slices, the idea with that kind of person is to realize if you're done, you know, for we'll speak it, you know, because we're largely speaking to women, but men, it happens to men as well. But if, it, if I'm a woman, I would be saying, when am I done? You know, this is the, I've given him 5,000 chances. This is 5,001. Do I want to do this? And if I do want to do that, then I get to say, okay, honey, I'm starting with you from scratch. Okay. This is the last time. And I mean it, this is the last time. And here is our agreement. We agree to be honest with about everything. We agree to be transparent with our, you know, computers, cell phones, all of that, unless it's, you know, a work thing that we can't, you know, a privileged work item. Sure. Finances too, which is a huge. Oh, and we, and so, but you see beautiful Debbie that we put it all in writing so that there's no misunderstanding. And what does that mean? to be clear about finances. Well, if you get paper bank statements that they're put out on the counter and paper bank statements are looked at on the first of every month, that credit card receipts and credit card statements go on the counter in a certain folder and they're open for review, that all mailing goes to the home address or whatever, so that the couple has a foundation, a benchmark where there is no wiggle room. And then that way, If the partner, I was just working with a couple on this very issue last week, and he did not want to be transparent. He said that he wanted to give the marriage another shot, but when it came down to really having the clarity, she was willing to be an open book. She was willing to have cell phone, computers, finances, everything open. And he's saying, no, no. No, I do. I will admit I do have secret bank accounts. I will admit there's stuff on my phone I do not want her to see. And then we could see right in that session when it really came to those core issues about trust, about honesty and openness and integrity, that we only had one player on the team, not two. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's and I'm sure that was a huge moment for her. Oh, it was. Yeah. It was, it was very sad because there are children involved, but it was so eye-opening for her because she realized in that session, I am not crazy. I want these things and all these things are normal. They are ordinary for me. They are, they are deal breakers for me. Now for some couples, it wouldn't be an issue. Some couples thrive on, on 
separate finances and having two lives where people are doing all sorts of things behind each other's back. Uh, maybe that's their definition of healthy, but you and I would probably agree it's not, right? And so when a person realizes what is healthy for them, and sets the boundaries. And in my in Joy from Fear, I work with this, Debbie, in a special chapter where I start asking readers to look at what I call essential qualities. The qualities that you want in your own being and that you want in your partner. And so for somebody who's recovering from betrayal, it's even more important, right? To I mean, it's important for us all to know these qualities, but to say, this is what I want. I want respect. I want transparency. I want honesty. I want no more of this white lie, gray lie business. I want everything that comes out of your mouth to be true. And if that is her benchmark, which she is entitled to have, and her partner is unwilling because his essential qualities are different, then the marriage won't, the relationship won't make it. You know, and I always say that transformation starts with the truth because that's when you see what you're working with. That's when you, you, you at least know what's, what's going on behind the scenes. And then you can either create something wonderful with that person on your own, without that person, it doesn't matter. But at least you've now, the, the old relationship based on just all of those lies or whatever it was, has crashed and burned. And only in that position can you create something uh, better for yourself, whether that involves that other person or not. And my intention is always to help the person who's been betrayed. I have no idea what the outcome will be with their partner, if it's a, a, a romantic betrayal, but it's to get that person to their best place so they can see and think clearly. So, so the fear though, I can still see it. And I still want to work on a little bit of it for the, for the listener, because let's say they, they've identified this is destructive there, the constructive fear is saying you clearly uh, know better, and and now you know you see things clearly. We need to do something about that. How do you how do you work with somebody to fuel that so it doesn't lose, so it gains momentum? Um, same type of method, Debbie. Is when we make goals for ourselves, when we put things in writing. Okay, it becomes much more understandable for the psyche. That is why so many of us will make wish lists in our heads or think in our head and not want to put it in writing. Because the minute we put something in writing, we feel a sense of clarity and accountability. So that's why I, I really guide people, create a journal, create micro, micro goals that fit under your macro goal. Every day, this is how change becomes effective. Every day, make one tiny step toward that goal. It doesn't have to be a big overnight shift. We, in fact, we don't want to, as I said earlier, really want it to be an overnight shift, but we want it to be things like, let's say we're trying to work on the marriage. And one of the things my sweetheart and I have decided we want to do is to have a cleansing conversation every morning or a heart to heart conversation or a love language conversation every morning. So then I put that on my calendar. I put that on my list 
every morning have a five minute heart to heart with my sweetheart so that we can start connecting again. And that is one micro goal under the goal of better communication. Because if we just say, I want better communication, that's too amorphous, right? We need specificity. And again, destructive fear does not like specificity. Constructive fear loves it because it gives us something to work toward. So, and I love that. So that's beautiful if they're trying to rebuild. Help us through, let's say there's somebody who they realize there is no possibility to rebuild or they, they've chosen not to rebuild. They've been in it long enough. They know that there's no healing this marriage the way it is or this relationship the way it is. And they need the, they need to overcome their fear so that they, they move forward with, with just helping themselves. First thing that always comes to my mind is Become part of a woman's support group. If you don't, I I run one every Thursday night specifically for this reason, for women who can't afford one-on-one therapy, and even more than that, women who want to be in a collective of other women who have experienced similar things. So women come, and it's every Thursday evening at a specific time. It's confidential, and you would not believe, Debbie, the kind of growth and transformation I've seen over the 10 years that I've run this because there's something beautiful and connective about being held in a safe place where you can hear other women's stories, their lows, their successes, and know that if they can do it, I can do it too. And then somebody new will come into the group who's at the very beginning of the journey and all wobbly like a little deer with fragile legs. And then they help her through and then she comes, you know. So I think that's the first thing I would say is see if you can find a collective of women where you can share and gain support. I love that you I love that you said that. I mean, that's exactly why when people finish the Betrayal to Breakthrough program, we have two certifications, one to be a certified post-betrayal transformation support group host, the other to be a practitioner. Mm. And I purposely created that certification because when I did my study, every single woman in the in the study said they would have benefited from support, not to sit and keep them stuck and commiserate, to help them at, at a time where they're the least likely to reach out for, for support, but when they need it most. And I'm so glad you said that because it, support is crucial, but there's so much shame or embarrassment or we just don't know where to find it. And um, and it's so necessary. So thank you for bringing up that point. I didn't mean to cut you off. You had more. Oh, I'm <laughs> glad you did because you, you touched on a really important piece too, is the shame. Women in my women's support group, every women, woman, maybe not everyone, I would say most of them, the vast majority who come through the door the first time, are filled with such deep shame. Shame, one who just came a couple weeks ago, you know, married for 30 years, the husband has been cheating on and off. She led him back for the umpteenth time because she doesn't want to break up the family. And she's riddled with shame and self-doubt. And the women just embrace, and it's a small group. I can, you know, I keep it to a maximum of six people. And she left with no shame. She was so embraced 
realized that she is so similar to everyone else in the group. Different story. Everybody has different stories. But that the pain and the feelings of betrayal, no matter the forum, are so universal. And the women end up coming back and saying, you know, their second week and saying, I left feeling so much lighter. I left feeling like I could breathe. And that's the piece you just spoke to. How important it is to push out of the shame, push through the shame to the other side, which is the first step in healing. Beautiful. Beautiful. So then, so whoever, whether this is a man or a woman, they, they get the support that they need they're they're trying to manage their fear they're so conditioned to falling back in old patterns we're we're trying to keep that momentum going what else would you suggest so to keep the momentum going if you can have an individual therapist who helps hold you in you know in the accountable forward moving um, way if you can perhaps maybe have a girlfriend or a mentor something like that And the other piece is to, again, I really am a believer of keeping a list. It sounds a little punitive, Debbie, but keep a list of the red flags and the betrayals. Reason is the psyche, as we start moving forward and and leaving that which is familiar, we want to remember what was good and we'll go, oh, it wasn't so bad. You know, it really didn't hurt that much because the psyche wants to rationalize the the need to not move forward, the the need to not go into unknown territory. And so if we have a journal where we have several pages or a page of, wait a second, look, this is what he did. You know, he was out with his buddies till one in the morning and, you know, showed up drunk or, you know, he came home with, you know, perfume on his, or, you know, receipts in his pocket for a hotel, whatever it is, not to demean the person, not to shame them, nothing to do with demeaning or shaming the partner, everything to do with a reminder to the self when you get weak, that these are real things that happened. Do I, is that in line with the kind of life I want in my future? Beautiful. So now they're gaining momentum. They're starting to listen to the the constructive fear and, and just moving forward with these things anyway. Let's move towards joy. How do you go from that place to joy? Ah, you get to my favorite part. (laughs) When we talk about joy, some people will often say, I want to find happiness. I want to find joy. My premise is that we are all born with joy. It exists within us. It is always there. Much like having a candle, like we're born with this beautiful votive candle. And then we're born and it's put in a glass container. and Life's hurts and traumas and betrayals cause soot to build up in the glass container. So that before long, often by the time we're in high school, certainly by the time of our first significant betrayal, there's a lot of soot on that, you know, around that votive on the on the on the glass. And we don't see our joy anymore. We don't see it's there because we don't see the light. And then anxiety and stress and depression and trauma continue to coat that until we think we've lost our joy. 
really what I believe it is, is the joy is still there. It might be flickering very dimly. But as we work through our trauma, as we work through our betrayals, as we figure out what's at the roots of our root of our anxiety and depression, meaning going through self-work, meditation, therapy, bibliotherapy, whatever it is, we slowly become more connected to that innate natural joy, which is why women who I've worked with much, I, I imagine you experience the same thing, but when they've started moving to the other side, they're all of a sudden saying, I feel more at peace. I'm breathing. I can't believe I lived that way before. What have they found? Did like joy pop out of the sky? No, they've allowed themselves to have the power and the empowering experiences of knowing that that joy was always waiting to be discovered and that all they needed to do is to get out of the toxic behaviors and relationships that were chronically coding it with all of this darkness, all Beautiful. of this soot. Yeah. What do you want to make sure every everyone knows before we wrap up? What do I want? I want listeners to know that you deserve to be loved. You deserve a relationship where you treat yourself well and you are treated well by others. And so if there are people in your life who are betraying you, I believe that we can talk to them about it, let them know our standards. And if their standards of living are different from what our needs are and they're not willing to work it and up-level it, then it is your right, and some might even say your responsibility, to take good care of yourself and have the courage. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's scary. And I have lived what I'm talking about. And I think, Debbie, you have as well. And so we can walk our talk. We have walked our talk and we know how scary it is. I can speak for myself. I know how scary it is. I know how uncomfortable it is. I know how anxiety inducing it is. And that's how I can say that if you persevere, you will find the other side. You will. You deserve it. It is yours to have. Beautiful. So just because it's scary doesn't mean you have to stay stuck. Carla Marie, you gave everyone so much hope with what you shared today. I'm so grateful for your, uh, just your insight, your wisdom. And I know everyone got so much out of this. Thank you so much. It is my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for the work you do, Debbie. I love how Carla Marie explained the difference between destructive fear, constructive fear, and transformational fear. It really helps because if you pay attention to each type of fear as it shows up, you'll know how to manage it more effectively so you can move through it. Stay in touch with Carla Marie by going to drcarlamanley.com and we'll have all of her information in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. When fear speaks up, be very aware of how you may be justifying, rationalizing, and making excuses so that you don't take action. Of course, you don't want to make any rash decisions, but you know when you've exhausted a topic fully, you've given it all you have, and letting that fear sabotage you is just a way of not having to change. 
change. I get it. Change is scary, but that's where your transformation begins. It never happens from a place of comfort. That's why they call it growing pains. And these challenges almost always leave some necessary cleanup in its wake. Find out what symptoms may be lingering for you by taking the post-betrayal syndrome quiz at pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. Breakthrough.